You're listening to the RSA Conference podcast, where the world talks security. Hello, listeners. Welcome to this edition of our RSAC 365 podcast series. Thank you for tuning in. I'm your host, Casey Zirkus, content strategist with RSA Conference. And today I am joined by our guests, James Binford and Ashish Rajan, who will be talking about the Cloud First ESO. Today's podcast is sponsored by Acronis. Acronis unifies data protection, cybersecurity, and endpoint protection management for IT professionals and service providers, delivering integrated cyber protection that solves the modern digital world's challenges. With Acronis, you not only ensure proven threat protection, but enable faster return to productivity in case of incidents. Learn more at acronis.com. Also, I want to remind our listeners that here at RSAC, we host podcasts twice a month, and I encourage you to subscribe, rate, and review us on your preferred podcast app so you can be notified when new tracks are posted. And now I'd like to ask James and Ashish to take a moment to introduce themselves before we dive into today's topic. James, let's start with you. Absolutely. I'm James Benford. I'm a director in BISO at Humana, supporting a very cloud and AIML forward business line. My background's in cloud security. I've spent the last five years focused on it at places like Google, um, Amazon Web Services, and KPMG, and really glad to be here. Thank you for the opportunity. Welcome, and Ashish. Thanks for having me, Casey, and really glad to have a conversation with James as well. My name is Ashish Rajan, and I am a CISO by the day. And as I like to call myself, a Batman or a live streamer over the weekend for a podcast called Cloud Security Podcast, which gets over 16,000 views per episode. But uh, that's not humble brag for the work that we're doing for the community. Uh, apart from that, I love being part of community events and love having conversations like these. So I'm really looking forward to a great conversation between all of us. I am as well, and I'm so glad that you both can be here to join me today. So I think one important place to start for us is this role of the BISO. Uh, we say it as if everybody knows what it is, but what is the BISO exactly, and how is it different from the CISO? Yeah, I'll take that first part of the question. And the BISO, the Business Information Security Officer, is the bridge between their security organization and the business they support. And on that bridge, a BISO will represent security to the business, so communicating requirements, policies, um, providing security perspective and expertise, and they represent the business's needs back into the security organization, so challenges, uh, concerns, and issues. I think for me personally, the being the BISO stands for bridge between security and the business. So pretty much what James said, I just like to call it bridge information security. That's my version of it, but yes. I mean, that's pretty much what James called out. I like how we both pronounce yeah, that I like differently. It. <laughs> it is funny with acronyms, right? Like the CISO, the CISO, the <laughs> who knows what we're calling right. it. Yeah, um, so it is, it's, um, do we call it BISO? Is that I think it depends on the organization that you're in. Right. Yeah, I don't know that there is a correct. <laughs> exactly. Tomato, tomato, right, Ashish? Sure. Yeah, yeah that's right. CISO, CISO, same. BISO, BISO, same thing. <laughs> okay. I'm going to go with BISO because I like that. Uh, how do BISOs support CISOs as they build a cloud security roadmap for migrations? I'll put my bid in on this one. I think... In a cloud migration, the BISO's role first and foremost is to help their CISOs and the security organization 
see through the fog that's really inherent with fast-moving migrations. The fact is, security will never have the time to perfect things before the business begins migrating workloads into the cloud. So the BISO has to be there to help the CISO and the security organization focus on what's important based on what's being migrated. Right? If you've got you know, public-facing assets, maybe you're more worried about the edge than you would be if you're just putting a bunch of data into blob storage buckets. And the role is also to help balance security needs with business needs. The business needs to experiment because that's why the business is going into the cloud in the first place. And with experimentation come trade-offs. So the BISO needs to help the security organization make appropriate trade-offs. Um, if you think about serverless, when serverless first came out, security organizations were very concerned about their inability to see into these servers underpinning this ephemeral infrastructure. But it still made a lot of sense for the business. Um, and a BISO, that's where the BISO comes in, to step in, help the security and business lines understand the pros and cons, and help them come to a decision. Just to add to what James was mentioning as well, I think traditionally, it's worthwhile calling out a role of a BISO or a BISO hasn't really existed for more than, what, two, three years now, at least publicly. There has always been a space for this, and usually what used to happen is the CISO is kind of under the pressure to kind of do this part as well. So it's definitely valuable to see that the industry is trying to recognize that there is a need for a separate uh, role, specifically calling out the, or I guess, as I was saying earlier, the bridge between the business as well as the technology side and the security side. So, I mean, I, I can probably give an example for what it used to be before a visa became a thing where someone like myself would work with the business while trying to stay technical for the technical team that I manage as well. And uh, the importance of that role uh, only highlighted was, was when you kind of grow the scale of the organization. And after a point to what James was saying, there are certain divisions which just need special attention. It's super important. Uh, when you, even if you might think, hey, how big a division could be? You still could be talking about hundreds of millions of dollars coming from a particular business unit. But if they work on a project which is valuable from a technology perspective, but it's not meeting the business goals, it's kind of pointless. And another reason for the importance of this role is to have an understanding for what would be approved from a budget perspective by the board and by the business. Because technically, I might want, I don't know, the, to James's point, the best serverless security solution out there. But if the application that we're producing is, say, traditional, doesn't work really well with serverless, they would not approve a budget which is not really aligned with the business value. So uh, a BISO or a BISO definitely helps in align, having alignment both from a strategic perspective from the business, but also helps them feed back into the business. Why is a certain project more important for a budget approval and a team skill approval as well, considering we are moving more into a world where cloud migrations are quite complex. It's not just a matter of, say, someone lifting and shifting into an our cloud organization. There are also organizations where people are talking about multiple cloud providers. Like at the moment, I work with teams where they require to be skilled in Amazon, Google, Azure. Some of them are even skilled in Oracle, IBM. It's like the, the list doesn't end. So having keeping up to date with just the cloud migration piece itself is a big job. So the Baizu definitely fills that role quite well for us to keeping us in tabs with what's the business requirement, what's the driver for this financial year that we can actually work towards instead of thinking something we need uh, then, uh, and building it and finding out that actually the business doesn't really care about this. So quite a crucial role. 
yeah, yeah, I wonder how much the Biso role, and like you said, she's just a brand new role, but over the next five, ten years, looking back, I wonder how much credit the Biso role will get for reducing the, uh, the rate of CISO burnout, right, just by, by being that place to sort of yeah. offload a little bit and get a little Definitely. bit of perspective so CISO can stay holistic, right? Definitely. And I think uh, worthwhile calling out another role that keeps you popping up is people are thinking of having CISOs specifically for the cloud space as well. Just because I, the examples that I gave earlier, IBM Cloud, Oracle Cloud, Google, AWS, like these are big companies. And these are all, if you think about from a traditional context, they're all big data centers that you're building slowly. And over time to what you're saying as well, say another six years, Abizo is able to help bridge that gap between the business. But from a CISO perspective as well, there needs to be someone who's bridging the technical gap between all these cloud providers as well. Because one cloud provider is completely different to the other cloud provider. So, I mean, not just, I think burnout and possibly if they create a role for a cloud-based CISO as well, which is for a particular cloud, that they specialize in one particular cloud, I think that would definitely be helping in preventing all the burnout that CISO talks about. Absolutely. So that's really interesting. And, you know, as I'm listening to you, I'm thinking, okay, you know, the fact that there are so many different providers that organizations are using, that in and of itself presents challenges, right? And that doesn't even scratch the surface of some of the challenges that an organization is going to face during cloud migration. Um, so I wanted to, number one, talk about what are some of the other challenges that should be on people's radars. But also, I'm just curious, you know, in dealing with those challenges, where does sort of finding the solution to those challenges sit when you've got this BSO supporting the CISO? How do you sort of define those roles and, and whose role it is to deal with what? How much time do we yeah, have? You know, I, uh, <laughs> <laughs> right. We can go deep in this. I think one, uh, one important yeah. piece of perspective, though, the BSO is not a security organization unto itself. Uh, as a BSO, you're going to work across your security organization, not just with the CISO. That's what we've been talking about mostly, but really the BSO's relationships across its security organization are going to be incredibly important because it's in that security organization that tooling decisions are made, that funding typically gets allocated. So it's going to be very key for the BSO to not only have great relationships with their business and understand what the business is trying to do, have great relationships with the CISO and understand uh, exactly what strategy that CISO is trying to implement across the organization, but they have to have outstanding relationships with their peers across the organization. I think that's one of the things that actually makes the role so fascinating uh, and complex. I would probably say I would not be surprised if, over time, uh, Bezo and a CISO sit together in a board conversation where it's not just a conversation about, um, I guess, what the business is doing to kind of what James mentioned, having that relationship across the business uh, and not just technology makes them quite valuable. But one of the challenges that would come across is would the board understand the complexity of what something someone is trying to achieve. And I guess Bezo can definitely fill that gap from a business perspective. And most traditional CISOs and traditional organizations have always filled that role for making security simple enough that a risk conversation is easier, to, I guess, to digest by a board member. But sometimes we've always been accused of not having it simple enough to, say, just using something as simple as an MFA, which sounds like, a multi-factor authentication is understood by everything, but we have been in conversations in the past where 
a board just doesn't understand what that is, what's the value of it, and uh, a lot of CISOs just bang their head about it. But having that business context for, hey, this is a compliance requirement, I don't know, compliance number one, two, three, four, has this as a requirement for the business and for us to have more sales of the product we require to be compliant. And like Usually the CISO had to do this job and manage this across multiple business units. So that particular challenge is something that's definitely being solved by a business, especially if you have a large enough organization with multiple businesses as well, where it's basically a large enough complex. Fin- I think the examples that I've seen in the past are usually fintech organizations which are global. They have one BISO across Asia, one BISO across Asia-Pacific as well, and kind of go across the Americas and Europe as well. It's a, it's a really complex and a very scalable role as well to the number of relationships that BISO has to maintain. Outside of it, the other challenge I would probably say is coming from a technical background is definitely beneficial. They don't have to be a programmer or a developer, but having a bit of technical understanding to understand or empathize with the technical problem that the CISO and the security may be coming through is also a challenge that may come across because even today, there are a lot of roles that are provided in security leadership to people without a technical background. If you treat it like a project management exercise, that's definitely not going to be a successful security team. The same way, say, thankfully, at least uh, James's technicals, that really helps coming from such an exciting background of AWS and other companies that he's worked for. Um, if other bios and resources are similar, it, it would definitely help in making the relationship a lot more uh, easier to work with and a lot more productive as well. So I see that would be a challenge as well as we kind of go down the path of making more bios available for CISOs to work together with. Absolutely. You know, one thing I really like about the BISO role just generally, you do, I believe, have to have a security background, a security leadership background, but you can come from anywhere in security and be successful in this role. You know, SOC, you can lead an endpoint protection team and be successful in the BISO role because you'll have built the empathy and sort of the the security context necessary to really communicate security requirements to the business and to, to build that bridge between the business and security. So I want to switch gears a little bit here and talk about the specific challenges of, you know, old legacy stuff and building teams with appropriate skill sets and budget constraints as it relates to cloud migration and what that all means for security. Uh, I think the biggest challenge at this point in time, and it's a bit embarrassing story as well, if you would have spoken to me five years ago, I would have said I would never let an organization go into multiple cloud providers because, as I was saying earlier, each cloud provider in itself is like accepting that you have a new data center that you're managing, potentially equally large as a traditional data center that you would have managed. Now, the complexity of that challenge is every organization is growing. And as organizations grow, you may have started by saying, I'm not going to go work with any other cloud provider except for Amazon. But as the business expanded, say, into the Europe region, they acquired a couple of companies, and those companies are in the Google Cloud region or in the Google Cloud space. There is no, if it makes sense from a business perspective, there is nothing you can say from a technical aspect that makes sense for not to accept that Google Cloud space or even Azure or any other cloud provider. So the number one challenge these days for organizations that are dealing with cloud or cloud migration is going to be sticking to 
the one cloud provider, that's definitely my challenge number one. If they feel that the monopoly that they can have, at least in their organization, I feel that is slowly disappearing, especially with the need for data, big data projects, and a lot of other things where you want the best of the breed. And sometimes the individual cloud provider may not be the best answer for it. Just because you have everything else in there, right. they may not be the best answer for it. And the second thing I would normally call out is it's a big challenge for the team that are being built by uh, the CFOs as well. Uh, individual is expected to have real good knowledge, at least in one cloud provider, but they're also expected to have some kind of a good understanding of the security challenges in multiple cloud providers if that's what they're working in an organization. I was talking to some of the people, uh, I believe it's in Netflix and Block otherwise. So Netflix is a great example where they've been really good with keeping uh, all AWS, but I believe now they're seeing, at least based on the kind of interviews that I've heard, they're trying to see other uh, cloud providers uh, slowly come in. Square was an interesting one where, or I think they're called the Block now. Those folks have individuals who are specializing in particular cloud provider in their security team for cloud where one or two people are specialized in Azure, one or two people specialize only in AWS, only in Google Cloud. So that is going to be a challenge because how many companies out there would have the budget to have multiple people just focus on, say, one cloud provider and not have this? If you could even find them. Uh, spread across my... <laughs> yeah, that's right. right. We're looking for unicorns at this point in time. Right. And I think the BISO role, you know, there's an opportunity for the BISO to play a role there. Mostly sort of as an advisor, right? It's like you were saying earlier, it's ultimately up to the business to determine what acquisitions they make and how they grow the organization. And just like you said, the cloud provider that the potential acquisition is in, it doesn't really come up, I'm sure, in most of those merger and acquisition discussions. Yeah. So the VISO role... How much money are you going to make? <laughs> oh, a bazillion dollars. That's yeah, sure. That's all that Don't matters. Care. Exactly. Yeah. So the VISO role can help the business prioritize you know, after those decisions have been made by making it clear where the security pain points are going to be, um, where the gaps are, and they can do the same thing for the security organization. Stay, you know, if the BISO stays close to the business and has a good understanding of what's coming in in terms of mergers and acquisitions, um, they can do a good job of helping the CISO and the security organization strategize to prepare for that upcoming change. Yeah, I think the simplest example, or at least the analogy that comes to mind is uh, it's for people who may not, maybe non-technical and leaders and just trying to understand the complexity of this. It's like driving a car, but also knowing how to drive a truck. It sounds similar, mm. but very different. Two different licenses. <laughs> yeah, definitely right. two different licenses and way different kind of vehicles. Hmm, that's interesting. I like that analogy. We have another webcast coming up that is focusing on building cloud security leaders of the future. And some might look at that and say, well, you know, security is security. What's different about building cloud security professionals? So I know that the skills gap and finding talent is one of the challenges of cloud security. What are the skill sets that are needed? And can you talk a little bit about the ways that you could potentially upskill your team. Um, and then maybe what are some other appropriate ways to find talent to fill those gaps where you can't upskill? I've got a take on the difference between, I guess, what you would call traditional security versus cloud security. I think the difference is that cloud security, it requires almost more of a software development and a systems design mindset. A large part, you're going to be 
working with APIs. So you need to understand how APIs work. You're going to be writing code for infrastructure. So you have to understand, at the very least, how to structure code, how to make it modular and reusable. A lot of the disciplines that you see in software development are beginning to apply or do apply very heavily to cloud security. Um, and I'm not sure that traditionally the security skill set has been built around software developers. Um, I think the, today the security engineer is more focused on hardware and operating systems. And I think in the future, they're going to need to be more focused on systems design and understanding how APIs interact and the consequences of it. Um, and upskilling, you know, you can certainly take people who have traditional security experience, help them learn more about systems design, help them learn more about cloud, and upskill your current workforce. In fact, just given the talent market in cloud today, that is really the only option. You can't wait for the cloud market to become saturated with talent. Um, your migrations will be well behind you by then. I'd probably say 100% of the money there, James. Uh, and I'll add a couple more things in there. The traditional roles that have existed for people who may be coming in from a traditional background, the whole sysadmin role, that doesn't really exist in cloud anymore because there's no point in having that role because of the automation and the whole idea that you want to deploy and produce software features on a daily, weekly, sometimes hourly basis. The sysadmin role where someone, you just let someone know, hey, I need access to a server. They remember the IP address, or just if I can be a bit more technical, they need to remember the IP address of the server that they want to get on, and they tell you, hey, it's 1234, and they log in and used to be a thing. That does not happen anymore in the cloud world. In fact, IP addresses themselves are becoming quite obsolete in the cloud world. So the traditional security model that used to exist, even the, the traditional security products that used to exist are failing in the cloud world because they're still trying to work off what they used to do in the past. And this has been quite frustrating for companies that are trying to be cloud first and trying to find a solution which is cloud ready or uh, cloud first as they call it. Now, uh, there is hope, uh, that, and people can be upskilled. Uh, the software can be upgraded. They're all working towards, I think we are, uh, there's a video that I did for the four generations of cloud security posture managers, and the complexity that becomes with scale in a cloud environment, it definitely adds to the reality that we definitely need a change in not just the kind of security products, but also the kind of skill set that we have in our organization as well. I mentioned earlier that people, individuals need to be at least in a state that they're comfortable to have some understanding between at least one or two cloud service providers. Now, as James and I said earlier, it's definitely you're looking for a unicorn at this stage in time, at this point in time, but you know, hopefully in the future it will become so uh, easy enough that you only have to deal with one problem. Uh, you need to worry about it. It should be abstracted enough to the point that we're not talking about difference between, say, driving a car and a truck. You're just talking about driving skills. You don't have, someone has taken over the abstraction of whether it's a truck or whether it's a van or a car, doesn't really matter. It's been abstracted to the point that all you care about is I have an application that I want to move into the cloud and this is how I'm going to do it. And I think funny, we were talking about serverless earlier as well. Um, some people claim serverless and Kubernetes are the two examples where it could just doesn't really matter which cloud you're in. As long as you know those individual technologies, you should be able to go anywhere. So there is a possibility that a company may go down the path of using technology that is already catering for a more agnostic kind of approach. But until that happens, I think that, that was one of the reasons we started Cloud Security Podcast, just to do a plug if I can do that. 
Because if you try searching for cloud security resources, they're not that many. And the cloud providers themselves are only starting to do this now. That Amazon, um, I think if anyone's interested, Amazon has a conference called Reinforce that's happening in July. In fact, they're the only cloud provider at the moment running a cloud security-specific conference. There is no other resource out there for people to go in and understand from other people. Actually, there's another one called Forward CloudSec, which is um, happening the day before Reinforce. Uh, that's run by independent community members that um, I think I'm got huge support of. So outside of those two, there's not a lot of learning resources as well. Um, so, yeah, I think it's, it's definitely a uphill battle for people who are trying to learn cloud security. And my hope is more the work that uh, for CloudSec uh, and hopefully more cloud service providers creating more cloud security conferences and cloud security podcasts can help fill that gap as well. So, yeah, it's a long uphill battle, but there is definitely hope. Absolutely. Well, and then you obviously have the cloud security track at RSA conference in June as well. Oh, yeah, that's it. Yes, great cloud, Casey. So I'd love to hear from each of you, what does success look like for a cloud-first security program? My um, approach to this is a bit controversial because it goes against the traditional model, and it can be quite expensive for the organization, at least initially. Uh, I'll explain. The... Cloud first model that is successful in my mind is if a project is using more cloud native features where you're more in the ecosystem of the cloud service provider that you're working with, because let's face the reality of this, they have a possible solution which is being which is catering for organizations like Netflix, Facebook, Dropbox, all these massive organizations, you have access to a data center of that size. But it is all pointless if you still want to go down the path of doing your traditional sysadmin IP address. So the number one criteria for success for me is uh, it's the adoption for the security features and the, the services from the cloud provider are more in use. That's definitely a successful criteria from my perspective. The second one being, from a security perspective, how much of the uh, team is involved in the engineering side that's also because there have been organizations in the past that I've spoken to where one half of the organization, especially the engineering half, is already in the cloud. They're building platforms, but the security team is still traditional, and they're still asking for traditional change management processes to be implemented in a cloud world. Now, I was talking about deploying new features into your product on an hourly, weekly, monthly basis. The reason why we could not do this in the past is because we never had the capability like cloud, which was more software-defined, to do to do this before. But now we have the feature, but and we still ask them to kind of go down the path of using traditional change management processes. That would definitely be a negative. So anyone who's probably gone beyond that and figured out a way to deploy features more frequently, I think it's the second big criteria. The third one, which is why I feel it's a bit expensive, is that business has to make a decision for what applications are not good enough for cloud and make a call whether they transform them in the cloud space for being more cloud-native, quote-unquote, whether they're using more cloud features or maybe they're actually using cloud-native technology uh, and making a call for this is going to be an expensive exercise in the beginning, but over the long term, it is going to save money and it's going to be cheaper as well for the organization to scale easily without uh, hurting the wallet. So that's mostly my favorite at the moment. 
That sounds pretty I love simple. It. Uh, I James? <laughs> yeah, I, no, uh, right. Very, very simple, right? I especially like the uh, sort of the usage of cloud native security. And I'm going to talk about a KPI related to that that I think is really underused if it's used at all. We've talked several times just in this conversation about the ephemerality, if that's how you say that, of cloud assets. But I have not seen many organizations measure how good of a job they're doing taking advantage of the elasticity of the cloud and maintaining their cloud hygiene. Organizations should be asking themselves, how good of a job am I doing tearing down assets I'm not using? How good of a job am I doing closing AWS accounts, Google Cloud projects, Azure subscriptions that I'm not using anymore? CIOs should care about that because that ties directly into their bottom line. Closing things, shutting things down that you're not using is going to save you money. And then CISOs, BISOs, and the security organization should care about that because that is an easy way to shrink your attack surface. And if you are hitting the metric that Ashish just mentioned, using a lot of cloud-native services, then you should be able to take advantage of the elasticity of the cloud to reduce costs and reduce your attack surface. Um, another thing that I think is important to measure for a successful cloud-first security program is talent. Uh, we've talked also in the, just in this chat about the talent shortage that there is in cloud and the need to upskill your current organization. And I think you need to measure how that looks at the top. How many of my leaders have cloud certifications? And then from there, how am I incentivizing the builders in my organization, the people that are actually in the cloud building things, securing things, and how are those incentives working? And then I think you should be measuring as a cloud-first organization what opportunities I'm actually giving my newly certified builders to make it real by getting their hands dirty in the cloud. I haven't seen those metrics, um, but I think they're very important to a cloud-first organization. And I, I want to point out, James, that you're not only a cloud-first CISO, but you're also a wordsmith. Ephemerality is indeed a word, so kudos to Nailed you it. for bringing that into <laughs> the conversation. <laughs> <laughs> James and Ashish, it, it has really been such a pleasure to have you here with me today. Thank you so much for joining us, listeners. Thank you for tuning in. To find products and solutions related to cloud security, we invite you to visit rsaconference.com forward slash marketplace. Here you'll find an entire ecosystem of cybersecurity vendors and service providers who can assist with your specific needs. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll talk to you soon.